The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. I have a little preamble to the talk tonight as a little a, a thought that occurred to me as, as I was preparing uh, uh, the, the talk tonight. Um, I don't know if you have this experience, but sometimes, maybe it's because it was happening so much this week, sometimes when I read something or I listen to a Dharma talk, I just have this experience of just delight. And, you know, if I'm reading at it, sometimes, you know, it's just like to eat the book, you know, where I just want to, like, you know, incorporate this and, and, and just, oh, I need to remember this. This is so great. And um, what that is, is that there's something in the Dharma, in what we are reading or what we are listening to, that is touching and awakening something in us, that, you know, that quality of delight. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not like being put in there, it's, it's waking it up. Um, and so I, I wanted to just invite you to notice that. Um, and then I want to elaborate that a little bit. When the Buddha, a lot of the suttas that Sonia was talking about, a lot of the suttas, at the end of the sutta, there'll be this little uh, sentence. Here's one of them. Um, this is what the Blessed One said and gratified the monk's delighted in the Blessed One's words. So that they, were, they would say, sadhu, 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 which just means, yay, you go, guy. Um, you, you know? <laughs> um, but it was that sort of thing, that kind of quality of just touching into, yes, I believe this, or this is true, or this, this really is meaningful to me. Um, so when you are, when you as participants here, as part of our sangha, when people delight in what I teach, um, it's quite lovely. Um, you know, in my little ego, it's of course nice for my little ego as well. But, but it's also really lovely that there is something in the teaching when you say, oh, that, that really resonated. Because that's you. That's you. You know, that's not, that's not me. That's you. Waking up. There's something, there's a little spark there that's waking up. Um, indeed, Tanisro, um, uh, one of the teachers that I've been reading and studying a lot lately, he tells of a time when his teacher, Ajahn Fuang, who he's a, a Thai master, told him, he listened carefully to this Dharma talk, that Tanisaro gave, and at the end he was critical of it. And he told Tanisaro, he said, the problem with your talk is that it was too interesting. <laughs> and what he meant by that was, you know, the issue in our teaching isn't about being clever or entertaining. It's about really inviting people to that awakened place. And sometimes if I, you know, am too entertaining, then you go away and you think, well, that was fun. But it might not have much impact in your actual life. So I want to invite you to consider the possibility of um, 
listening to my talk with about 20% of your awareness. 20%? Yeah. About 20% of your awareness so that the conceptual part of you is listening with about 20% of your awareness. And if nothing makes sense or you don't understand it, that's certainly not my intention, but that's okay. And that let 80% of your awareness rest internally. Um, Much the same as what you're doing when you're just sitting in ordinary meditation. So that you're paying attention to whether or not something really uh, resonates for you. Um, I was doing it last week when Hugh was here teaching and uh, the word clearing really resonated. You know, when I left at the end of the night, it was something I took with me. Uh, Because I was really, I was really doing that. I was really, you know, paying attention internally. So that way, I can give like a really boring, bad, um, ignorant dharma talk, and it's still valuable. Uh, You know, because it's you that matters, and it's your own heart that matters. Um, uh, So just the invitation there to, to pay attention, to pay attention internally. There are lots of stories um, about, I've been reading the life of Ajahn Chah, and there are lots of stories, it's like, I don't know if I could have done that. Um, There are lots of stories where he will um, uh, talk um, to the monastics like until three in the morning. So it'd be like we start at seven and he talks until three. You know, that he just goes on and on and on. And if somebody looks at their watch, he just takes it as, you know, okay, we're going to keep going. And really what he's inviting is something similar. As I said, I, I don't know that I could t- navigate all that. But um, he's inviting something similar. He's basically saying, pay attention internally. It's not what happens outside that matters. Um, and I'm going to torture you, <laughs> until you until you do that. So I'll try not to torture you too much. Um, but really invite you to um, pay attention. And if at the end of the evening, if um, you leave with a word uh, or a phrase or a curiosity that interests you, awesome. That's really what makes a good Dharma talk something that you then can take with you and that you cultivate, you, you know, kind of work with it and allow yourself to be delighted by the inquiry itself, okay? Um, another thing that, so now I'll talk more uh, about the Dharma talk because another thing that really resonated for me was the quote that Hugh read at the very, very end. And if you weren't here last week, or even if you were, I'm going to read you a slightly different translation, because it's one that I love. Um, I, I toy with writing a book, and if, it's, if I actually ever do do that, this is going to be the title. An appropriate response. He read, he, um, 
he offered us a quote, and there was um, a Chinese master called Yun Men, and a monk asked him, he said, what is the highest, most profound teaching of all the Buddhas and the patriarchs? And Yun Men replied, an appropriate response. And I just love that, an appropriate response. And so I wanted to talk just about a couple of things um, that strike me about an appropriate response. Um, I could go off in lots of different directions. Um, so before we do, though, I'd, I'd invite you to contemplate, and you may want to talk to your buddy next to you, make sure you know that person's name. Um, what, what's an issue in your life these days, today, tonight, that you are pondering an appropriate response to. You know, it might be something in your family, it might be something about your health, it might be um, something about politics. So just take a moment and just let yourself, you know, and maybe share with your part, you know, somebody next to you if you want to. Um, I'll just give you a minute or so to con either contemplate or speak of it to, your, to, your, to the person sitting next to you, whatever you want to do. Okay, so we, we do all the time, don't we? We, we, um, we bump into things and we don't really quite know what's, what's an appropriate response. Um, you know, things that are stressful, um, what's, what's wise? How do we respond to this? Um, so the first noble truth, when we bump into the problem, that is the first noble truth, actually, where we actually see directly in our own experience that life is stressful. It's not a mistake. Sorry, I'm just Sorry. It's not a mistake. Life is stressful. It's stressful for everybody. It just is. That's the first noble truth. So to see these places where we don't quite know, it's a little, it's difficult. Maybe it's a lot difficult. We don't quite know what to do. Good. That's wise. That's the first noble truth, seeing that. Um, the Buddha teaches that that unsatisfactoriness in life is inevitable. It's not personal, it's not your fault. It's not even solvable. <laughs> oh darn. It's not even solvable in the sense that we can somehow make life work. Uh, although we often uh, think that we can. And he teaches that specifically it's the mind's um, obscurations of greed, of hatred and delusion you know, where we try to navigate, we try to make it work, that those are really the problems, not the fact that there is unsatisfactoriness in life. Um, and so an inappropriate response, then, is inappropriate because it leads us to try to live a life that isn't doable. We try to fix the satisfactory, we try to fix life so that it's 
satisfactory, so that it's stress-free, and it's not doable. So, the, so a response of trying to fix it is not an appropriate response, he says. Sometimes, too, um, in order to find an appropriate response, we want somebody somewhere to tell us how to be or what is the wise thing to do. Um, and it's, of course, not saying that there are wise people who can help us find our way. But to find what is an appropriate response for each of us is a very personal journey. Maybe you noticed that sometimes we just, um, not too long ago, did a series on the precepts. And we can bump into that with the precepts. You know, we can kind of become obsessed with trying to discern is it okay to kill fleas? You know, that is like, is it right or is it wrong? What do I do here? Uh, how about this kind of speech? You know, do I get a black mark or a gold star? You know, how, you know so that we can kind of wish that there were some kind of, you know, mm, uh, formal answer. Um, but what we explored in the precepts course is that there, there are guidelines. There are guidelines about greed, hatred, and delusion, that those are really not going to get us where we want to go. But then how those manifest in our actual lives is a very personal journey. Um, the Buddha gives us a map. Um, and we have to, like, make the journey. You know, we can have this gorgeous, elegant, beautiful map, but if we just have a map, it doesn't help us much. Uh, we have to actually travel, and we all know about traveling, that traveling, you know, it, it just never quite works out the way the guidebooks say or the, the way the maps say. You fo try to follow your GPS and it, you know, takes you off a road that no longer exists. Um, so you have to make it your own. We each have to make it our own. Especially given that we live 2,600 years after the Buddha, and many of the examples that he, get, he gave really are culturally bound. And so we have to kind of translate them into, well, what does it look like now? What is that principle? What is the principle? I think that's what Sonia was speaking of when she was talking about, you know, wanting to read the suttas. It's like, what's the principle? And then, okay, now what? Now what do we do? So a couple of ways of thinking about appropriate response. The first that I want to just notice is that the Buddha taught many doors to awakening. Um, in the ways that we teach, especially when we teach in a particular tradition, it can seem that there is either only one or um, there's only one right one. <laughs> But the, the Buddha actually taught many doors. In Theravada Buddhism, the tradition that we teach in, it is said there are 37 Dharma doors. And that's those eight thises and four thats and the four foundations of mindfulness and the four efforts and the four means of accomplishment 
and the five strengths and the five faculties and the eightfold path and the seven factors of awakening. And we could take each one of those and then we could add the Brahma Viharas, the four Brahma Viharas, although that's more Mahayana, but we could add those in. We say, okay, what's the door that works for me? What's the door that I need to bring to bear in this circumstance? Or what is it that I'm trying to learn these days? What, what, what am I trying to cultivate? What's the door? In the Mahayana tradition, they talk about 84,000, you've heard us say that, 84,000 Dharma doors. Well, that gets the point across a little bit more clearly. There are lots of them. So that to imagine that there's one way of doing this. You know, I offered a meditation tonight. That's a little bit different way of working with the breath. We could even expand the differences a little bit more. Maybe we'll do that on our spring retreat summon, sort of uh, plotting to, um, to teach a little bit more of that on the spring retreat. Um, but it's a different way of working with, um, with our breath. A little bit different. Um, so we study, we listen. We learn, we practice, um, and we look to see in our own direct experience um, where is suffering, where is stress, and what helps it to end. And that's really the only point of paying attention to the breath, is to see that. So if we're somehow using the Dharma to kind of just give ourselves rules that make us tight and self-critical and judgmental of either ourselves or somebody else, um, I think we're missing the point. The inquiry is, how does this work? In much the same way as if we were learning to make bread or soup or play golf or shoot arrows in archery. So the invitation is to find a doorway that works in this moment of time for you and then to use it, much like you might say, well, I think I'll go to Spain, you know. I've, I've, I just feel drawn to that. And so I have this map that I'm going to follow, but then you have to follow it. So to find a doorway that's interesting, that's curious, and that feels nourishing enough that it gives you enough juice, if you will, to have the energy to inquire. And then to follow it. One of the ways we could misunderstand the point I'm, I'm making is that, well, if there are, you know, 37 different doorways, we'll do one on Monday and another one on Tuesday and another one on Wednesday. And that's not really what's intended because what we would probably, how that would probably manifest would be something like, um, I'll do this one until it gets challenging and then I'll do something else. You know, it'd be like saying, I'll go to Spain until there are lines at security. You know, and, and then I'll go to the bathroom, I'll spend my time in the bathroom. 
you, you know, so that it's, it's like, okay, we, ke we keep going and we work with the difficulties using whatever that guide is to see how does this work. In this situation, for me, given my history, given my context, how does it work? Um, and what is working for you might be quite different from what is working for me. Or what is working for that person that you just spoke to about whatever their challenge was. Uh, or w the map that is needed at this point in time might be quite different. That can be kind of intimidating, can't it? You know, when someone we really appreciate and trust is working something that's a little bit different from something that's comfortable or familiar for us. So the fundamental inquiry, what leads to more suffering and what leads to happiness, freedom, ease. So you'll notice tonight, I was just inviting you to bring attention to qualities of ease in your breath. And fundamentally, the deeper quality of that inquiry is what's getting in the way? But I didn't ask you to do that tonight. I just asked you tonight, just pay attention. Where is their ease? Because if there isn't enough ease in what we're doing, we're going to white-knuckle it. We're going to struggle with it. We're going to criticize ourselves. And we're going to give up. But if we expect it to be a smooth sailing, um, then we need to be born on a different planet. And as Jack Kornfield says, it's too late for that. Uh, you know. So we, you know, we work with the difficulties and say, where's freedom here? Um, so the second somewhat similar way of thinking of an appropriate response um, is um, sometimes we not only get stuck on a particular way of getting to our destination, but even when we're confident of a particular focus for ourselves, we can imagine that there is some place we are supposed to be on that path. Um, and that we should be making progress this particular way um, in this particular timetable. Um, uh, Kitasaro tells a story um, when he was a uh, young monastic with Ajahn Chah. Um, he was very, very gung-ho. He, he was somebody who had um, just all of his life just worked really, really hard to achieve his goals and, um, and uh, got really good at just mm, pushing hard. And so he was um, talking to Ajahn Chah about how... Um, uh, discouraged he was getting because he was working, 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 working so hard. I think he once went three months or something like that without lying down. You know, he was that dedicated to his practice. And um, Ajahn Shah, he says, you, he, he said, you remind me of a squirrel. And Kittasaro said, I kind of knew this wasn't going to go well. He said, you remind me of a baby squirrel. He said, a baby squirrel sees his mother flying through the tree and he says, oh, I want to do that. And he tries to, um, he tries to follow mom 
uh, you know, across the branch, and he falls. And the word in, in uh, uh, Thai is duck. So he, he tries to jump and duck. And so he comes back, and his mother says, you're just, you know, it's okay. You're just little. It's all right. You can, you know, you can keep practicing, and you'll get it. And then he gets a little bit bigger and a little bit better, and he tries to follow his mother across the branch and duck. And his mother says, it's okay, you're all right, you're growing, you're developing your muscles, it's okay. And this goes, duck, you know, duck, duck, duck. And finally, you know, the squirrel grows up and has all those muscle coordinations and all those skills and is big enough and is able to leap across the tree. But it doesn't happen all at once. Um, and he says, Kitasaro says, Ajahn Chah, just with this incredible grandfatherly, kind smile, he said, keep practicing, you'll get there. You can do this. You can do this. But it's not something that you just kind of have an idea about, and then you just do it and it all works. So, you know, so to kind of give ourselves... Um, Again, it's like any kind of a journey to give ourselves permission to actually make the journey and to have obstacles and have difficulties and to know that, you know, we can, we can do this. We can do this. Um, and as we get more and more confidence in traveling, we get more and more confident that, oh, it's okay. It'll work out. We can, we can find our way. So an appropriate response is one that arises from our personal inquiry and journey, from our own discernment, our own personal investigation and responsibility. This is what the Buddha meant when he said, don't take my word for it. Look and practice and see if, how, when, where, why my teaching is true, why it works, how it works for you. Um, so we take the teachings and we bring them daily, moment by moment, to our own actual lives. We look to see where we are on the map and we see what's needed. So it's not just looking to see where we are on the map, but we look to see what's needed. I was in, um, you, some of you know I spend uh, my winters in Bali, and I was coming, the flights are unbelievably long. And so I was coming off a 16-hour flight back from Bali to Doha, Qatar, and I had like an eight-hour layover um, after my 16 hours in the plane. And it was like, okay, what's needed now is a hotel room, you know? And so I went to the desk, and I asked how much it was, and he gave me this astronomical figure. I said, fine, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, what's needed in order to continue the journey what, you know, what's needed, what's needed, what, you know, what, what do we do, what's needed here? It's especially noteworthy, perhaps, in these um, political times when it seems that there is so much discussion and so many ideas and so much urgency and so much agony and so much pain um, and maybe to some extent in some of our family circumstances as well. Um, you know, what's needed here? What's needed here from me? Which might be different from what was needed yesterday 
and what will be needed tomorrow. But the only way we can know what's needed here is if we're here and we pay attention. Um, so the next step with that on the retreat, I'll invite you, those of you who are there to, inv- to inquire. It's like, okay, is there something that's keeping the breath from ease? You know, is there some release that you could offer that would make it easier to just pay attention to the breath? Maybe, maybe not. You could look and see what is wholesome, what is wise, what is beneficial. So wise discernment gives us the ability to respond appropriately to whatever it is that arises internally in our own minds and emotions, externally in the world of our family and friends and jobs and political climate and national and international craziness. So come back to the, uh, the uh, challenging issue that you thought of earlier. And I would just invite you to notice uh, what I said at the very beginning. You know, with the attention that you have of, you know, really um, letting yourself pay attention internally, is there a word or a phrase that you might bring to bear to guide yourself on this journey of learning how to jump from one branch to another, learning how to fly, if you will, with ease. You know, is there a word or phrase that has come up? Maybe something I've said, but maybe not. Maybe it's something entirely different. And we have a couple of minutes. And I just want to, you know, the the other word that um, came to me last week from Hugh was clearing. And the poem that he read invited a a clearing, just a space. So I'm just going to make a little space here, a little clearing. And if any of the words want to be spoken, then you can do that here in this clearing. If they don't want to be spoken, pay attention. Don't do it. I don't need you to say anything. You don't have to speak anything to make me feel good or to whatever. But just, here's a little clearing. We'll make a little clearing here. And if anything wants to be spoken, there's room. So what is the highest most profound teaching of all the Buddhas and the patriarchs. An appropriate response. Thank you.